0: Welcome to CBAW Loves, a book club podcast from Community Building Artworks. I'm Seema Ressa.
1: And I'm Amelia Bain. Each episode, Seema and I will invite a rotating cast of fellow writers and artists to discuss
0: a book that we love. We hope you'll read along and join the conversation.
1: Welcome back to CBAW Loves. We're back with part two of our Listening in the Dark series.
0: This week, we have a group discussion of the book with writers Darfia Faizullah and Amber Flame, and psychologist and visual artist, Dr. Nisha Gupta. This was a conversation that my mind kept coming back to again and again. It covered dreams, time, our particular relationship to anxiety and intuition, and maybe a whole lot of other book recommendations. So we
1: started the conversation with a kind of challenging question, which is how do you each define intuition? So we'll get right into the conversation, which starts with Nisha Gupta offering her definition of intuition. It makes sense that uh, I was
2: invited to do this. You know, I'm a psychologist, trained as a depth psychologist, and also in Jungian analysis as a patient right now. Learning about the wisdom of the unconscious and the irrational and the intuition has been really the focus of a lot of my personal and professional work. My life focus right now, it changes every year right now, it's um, really experimenting with the possibilities of my consciousness to really get to a better sense of what that deep know. So I would say intuition is a deep knowing is, is what this Deep knowing that comes from an irrational source. What it is, what it means, where does it come from? What is it saying? Um, what does it mean about consciousness? And what are what's the magic and the possibilities of it? And how do we fight for that in a world and a society that? Um, only sees logic and rationality as a source of knowing and knowledge, yeah. So I would say this deep inner knowing um, is fascinating and I'm really looking forward to um, all of our conversations about this deep knowing.
3: I'm Tarfia, I'm a writer. I thought I knew what intuition was. I mean, I know sort of the standard kind of dictionary definition of it and I can come up with synonyms for it, like instinct, for example. But I don't think any synonym really gets close to what my relationship to it feels like. To me, it feels like this well that I don't always have access to, but desperately need access to sometimes. Because in reading this book, I was sort of thinking about the brokenness of my intuition, too. And so I feel sort of like, I love thinking about intuition and I know it when I experience like I understand my user experience of it, you know, but I don't know that I can always access it. And I feel very lost when I can't, mm. I guess.
4: This is a not an easy question. I'm Amber Flame. I'm a creator of many things. I keep coming back to like, it's the body, not the mind. Mm. Um it's the animal of us or maybe even like the, the child that's willing, but also learning the body is the instinctual intuitive. I mean, I think that's, that was what was so interesting in this book is how many times it came back to like, my body was trying to tell me before I knew consciously and that really resonated So I think, like, the animal self is intuition. The, like, that knowing. I think it's actually really playful, maybe, and even fun, dare I say, (laughs) pleasurable, Um, except that we don't know how to play anymore. We've Mm. taught ourselves not to, so.
5: I was thinking about this thing, too, like, about, like, when it is play, and I think it was Samantha Irby's essay of, like, where is the line between what? is intuition and what is like past trauma spinning up or like how do we parse that in a moment? I'm
2: trying to think of like what the difference is between um, an intuitive fear that's telling me something versus more of something I'm constructing. I, I keep going back to this deep knowing, like when I'm getting a sign or a message versus something I'm constructing, um, when I'm getting a sign or a message, there is like it's fe- it could be fear based, but it, it's very calm and peaceful in its fear. It's a bit, I mean, it's just like this is it. Then it's up to me to either ignore that message or act, you know, or or listen and trust it. But the experience of getting the message is a very calm, clear fear message of danger. And then there is another part of me that constructs fear with things like anxiety or rumination or wondering or going back and forth. And that is something I'm actually actively doing myself. So I just think, I mean, it's going a little bit away from the body, but a little bit more towards like, how do we trust <laughs> our instincts, I guess? Yeah. And how how do you assess what's what's a message to trust, maybe?
4: I think the difference mm-hmm. between like, our child, our true child self, and tapping into our child self though is that we can now do a better job of protecting our space and holding our boundaries. We don't lose the wisdom that we gain from the trauma, from the lessons, from the consequences of trust. I really love Samantha Irby's like call out. You know what I mean? It's like how much of this am I am I still. Constructing in my head to create obstacles to my own enjoyment, essentially, um, and also how much of it is real? It's very real, and um, I think of the in um, polar's one of like learning not to swing the arms right or to never be taken by the from behind while swinging the arms again, and just that like how do we untie that part of it? Like how do we using the wisdom of what we know now untie some of those responses and regain some of the some of the like free joy um and i i think it's question i think that's the question (laughs) that's the question that i'm left with having read it that's the question that they're all tackling one way or another how do we untie the like trauma response and gain back the pleasure of like that childlike intuitive pleasure joy it's interesting to think of intuition as like the thing that keeps us from danger. What if the angle is like the thing that helps us tap into pleasure, but I don't know how. So the question is an open one. How?
3: Yeah. (laughs) How, how do you, how are you doing it?
6: (laughs) I'm working on (laughs) it. Seema and I spoke to Dr. Mindy Nedefi and she said like, I can figure out what it is for me, but I can't tell you what it is for you it's different for everyone and so that that's yeah of course cuz it's the most personal thing but it's also like well tell me <laughs> somebody tell me yeah
4: i was going to ask the question of everybody of like how many of you grew up like deeply in touch with some kind of god or belief system i was raised in a fundamentalist christian church so i had like a deep deep relationship with god and heard we we had conversations so my intuition it turns out (laughs) I just named God as a child you know what I mean like it's 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 I learned to suspend disbelief at a very very young age and sustained it like throughout my whole childhood and there's something about that that allows me to remember what it is to hear the still small voice because that's God right like and now I it feels the same I'm like this is so interesting I don't call it the same thing but it's the same thing like I just know some things.
6: I grew up in the Baptist church and I spent a lot of time like with my eyes closed, waiting to hear something, you know, and I, but I feel like in those moments, I, in the silence had my own thoughts. So in a way that was like, it made space for, for me. And maybe that was um, connecting to myself and intuition in a way.
4: You know, when you're, when you're trying to get swept up in the spirit and you're trying to like speak in tongues and you know, you're making it up. And you wonder if everybody else is making it up, but everybody else seems so sincere. And it's such a weird, weird thing, you know?
5: I'm, well, cause I'm thinking about like how I was raised in a, in a pretty religious Muslim household, but my mom was always a little skeptical. And I always felt this break from like, I really want to believe and I don't, but my spiritual experiences were like putting my feet in the creek and, waving incense in circles and like right like these like mystic things that i did for myself and even now when i'm meditating and i'll like a vision will come up and be like hey are you making that up and it's like well yeah and also yes i'm making it up and also i'm seeing it so
4: dr mindy nedofi said i'm a poet and so metaphor is how of course it's going to speak to me i'm going to look for the metaphor because that's the language I know, right? So mm. spoke to you in the language that you could hear,
5: right?
3: I, you know, I think that um, something I struggle with a lot, something that I think could be a blocker of intuition, is perfectionism, which we y'all kind of touched on a little bit. Just that, you know, I feel like I've I've been stuck in this kind of perfectionist prove yourself mode for such a long time now, and I feel like the last couple of years, I've been really making a concert concerted effort to do what I think of as deprogramming all of this, you know, for bad, like what I think of as like, maybe it's not bad or good programming, but faulty or not useful anymore, or whatever. And just try to clear all this detritus, I guess, so I can have clarity, which I find just so difficult to access. And so I guess like, for me, I've just been thinking about how that requires slowing myself down and sort of like getting out of fight and flight mode, which I find myself kind of clenched up all the time. And I'm getting clenched up around the idea of not doing something correctly or not doing it. Of course, I'm still listening to other people's voices, but now they're inside of me, you know? So I'm just like, <laughs> I just feel like I'm just like trying to tell all these other voices to shut the fuck up so I can hear myself. But it's so challenging to have that conversation, I guess. Um, Or I think maybe, I think sometimes I've also overridden my intuition. Like I know, and I will just, I will, I will literally do the opposite thing. The just <laughs> watch myself do it. And I'll know the whole time that I'm sabotaging, you know, and that I'm not listening to myself actually, and that the consequences are going to hurt afterwards on the other side of it but I still do it anyway so I think I don't I don't know like I like I said at the beginning like I think I'm trying to repair my intuition is what I you know and I was really struck by how often in this book vision and communication came up both kind of separately so I don't know like I think about vision and communication a lot it'd be great if I could get vision and communication in the same room and get them to talk to each other because they feel, Maybe that's what intuition requires—is just like I don't know, getting these hoes in one room and making them <laughs> each other. I don't know. I can't figure <laughs> it out. I
2: can't figure
3: it out.
2: You know, we're talking about the voice of God, um, so the mystical aspects, also the voice of the unconscious, um, which is written about in the book. But also lately, because um, I had these experiences that were, you know, not just intuition, but were really about the future. Um, and they were flashes of like, almost like memories of the future being sent to me in the same way the past memories are sent to me. And then another one was a very deep knowing bodily about the future. Um, and also both of these things co- are contradic- contradicting logical evidence and reality in the present. And I, uh, I'm i at a standstill, don't know what to do. What it's made me do is instead of focusing on the messages, focus on quantum physics and the theories <laughs> that physicists are dealing with right now, which are talking about that what, what those moments were, were my future self talking to my present self. So flashes of my future self communicating, sending memories to my present self. I'm reading this book called Time Loops by Eric Wargo. And he is, writes about this in a really interesting way with a lot of research. Um, basically saying that our lives are written. We don't have free will. When these, when we're being spoken to, when that voice is speaking to us, when we're being experienced, you know, through dreams, through whatever, That's that's our future self. And uh, to Tarfia's point, you know, just if this what this has done for me and giving me uh, comfort is just surrendering (laughs) and not actually thinking I have much control, even if I think I'm sabotaging something right now. Who actually knows? I get glimpses of some messages from the future. Eric Wargo says those glimpses of the messages from the future self aren't even trying to, they're not warning us so we can change the future. They're giving us glimpses into the future Um, and uh, including future consciousness. So if we have a glimpse of like a future car wreck, what that is is that we might've experienced a car wreck in which the worst possible scenario came to us um, and that's being sent to us, but we survived the wreck. <laughs> and that it's the glimpses of our future self just telling us this is in store for us in the future. And I don't know if I sound crazy, here's the thing, when you expe- like experiment with consciousness like this, you feel crazy often. <laughs> what has allowed me to feel better is that I am in a department of psychology that studies parapsychology, so we're all freaks. And building community helps, like, exactly like this is, I think, what gives the courage to trust these voices that our rational, logical society doesn't take seriously.
3: I'm just so hyped about so many things you brought up because um, I think about time loops. Um, I used to think that I had to sort of, I don't know, as an artist, I had to constantly reinvent everything. No, you just have to do the same thing over and over again. The change kind of happens in that action I guess and then I also think as a as a poet I think often about poetry as a form of time travel and a form of like communing with your future and past selves and also selves that you never were but that you can feel somehow I think about Ann Carson saying um writing what is it something like I can still feel that other day underneath this one and so um so yeah I just I love that you brought up loops and Amber I love that you brought up consistency because I think both of those they're like they're like they're the same thing but there's one that is sort of quotidian you know what i mean there's some that there's like there's a dailiness to physics that i think i just am now starting to think about in connection with each other
4: i think that like essentially astrology is teaching us the same thing that it all loops and it's all sort of like you know variations on a thread you know like this energy leads to this kind of thing And I kind of, I take comfort in that as well. Like there is a surrender in that or a receptivity of like, if things are bad, don't worry, it's going to change. Um, And if things are good, don't worry, it's going to change. So you just kind of have to roll with it. Um, I, I, but I love the idea of, (laughs) I love the idea of like, these flashes of insight are just like, hey, just a heads up, you're headed that way. Um, You can try to resist, (laughs) but it's going to happen.
2: I think to Amber Tamblyn's like first essay in the book where she yeah. talks about the, this clock, um, the watch stopping, and it yes. was about her friend dying, and it wasn't it wasn't oh you can save your friend from dying you know this is a cautionary thing that you can change the future no it was a heads up this is in the future so that's that's it right um, and it led to a deepening and a reconnection even if she couldn't make it to visit him there was that moments of reconnection. I thought that was really beautiful as like
5: a, um, a message from the future self. I I keep thinking about like I am someone's future self, like her. And what what an idea to like, oh maybe if I do that visiting, like she feels it back there. I, that gives me so much joy the idea that I might be able to just sit here and capture catch like whiff of some memory of myself and like just visit her for a second.
4: I
3: have this weird confession, which is that I don't really believe in change. I believe in cycles, but I don't believe in change. And, um, and I think there are, you know, sort of different points in the cycle that you sort of find yourself. Um, and I think that both, Nisha, what you were saying about community and Jessica Valenti talks about this too, about sort of finding herself uplifted and sort of lightened by realizing that other people had this experience of sort of finding themselves in a cycle. And sometimes that means being trapped in a cycle. Sometimes that means that you've escaped a cycle too. Um, But how, I think that for a long time, I really fetishized isolation as a, place where i needed for intuition like that i needed to be completely alone and not just alone but isolated Mm -hmm. and um i just have been saying a lot lately uh we need each other and i think that one of the aspects of this book that i really appreciated was that i felt that confirmed that idea um that intuition isn't just about listening to yourself this contradicts what i was saying earlier about wanting to get all these voices out of me um but i feel sort of like sometimes you can hear yourself best when you are surrounded by the right kinds of voices
4: well that's where those moments of synchronicity come in right like that's where there's this like continuity and even in the different essays i would imagine that they weren't reading each other's ahead of time but a lot of them use similar phrasing or similar you know like I, I totally agree, Taki. I, I can hear my intuition better um, when I feel like I'm in key or in tune, literally, with other people, with other voices. And I'm like, oh, I'm onto something here.
3: I was thinking about how I've been to talk about something you were you brought up, Seema, about um, those glimpses of the former selves. I feel like I've been actively trying to have conversations with my former selves, especially the ones that are difficult for me to face the, you know, the phases where I am felt like, where I want to say, like, how could you be so stupid? Like that person, I'm trying to like have a conversation with that person for myself. Like when I go back in time and I talk to those younger selves, I'm still present. Me is still struggling with the stuff that my younger self is struggling with, maybe with more awareness, I have more compassion now. But I feel still like it's like, it's not necessarily true that anything has changed per se. It's that I'm having better conversations and conversations I was afraid to have. But what I'm discovering in those conversations with the self is that change isn't necessarily happening, but repair is. And I guess like, I think sometimes we, talk about change as though it's repair. But I don't know if it is.
2: Makes me think of like, if we go back to intuition, like what's the point of intuition? Um, If we were to think about the idea that like a life is not something that's supposed to be about upward progress, (laughs) right? Which is kind of, you know, uh, then what is a life about and what service does intuition play in that? And what keeps coming up for me then is Truth and love, a love for oneself and the voice that speaks to us, and our ability to keep communicating with that voice and hearing it and trusting it, and a respect for truth. Possibly,
5: this idea of like respect for truth and this thing of I guess belonging maybe is what we're ta- what, what talking with. I feel that Amber kind of touched on like when you're in the right community. And you feel like you're heard, you can listen to yourself differently. And when you're like talking to somebody who is clearly just thinking about what they're gonna say next, or like isn't 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 there, isn't truthful. Um, like I feel like the older I get, the more quickly I can spot that and not try to force myself like, oh, but this person's cool, or like this I should like this person, or I should be enjoying myself right now. Um, because I like, can feel like, oh, I don't feel like myself right now, and this isn't, this isn't where I belong, or this isn't my spot. Maybe intuition is to like teach us
4: how to gather our community to us. Like it goes back to that community, and like, who are we going to survive the apocalypse with? You know, like who do we have to build this new world with um, out of the rubble? And so the point of intuition is is to learn the lessons from before. Maybe some repair happens, as you were saying, Tarfia, so that we can identify, like, make better choices about who we choose to have in our corner when the shit comes tumbling down, which it will and does and will again. And so maybe it's just, like, literally to learn better each time. And maybe intuition teaches us, like, who's telling the truth, who's leading Mm -hmm. with love, who's, like, trying to repair, and who's... And maybe that's the whole point, is is to help us survive better when we have to survive the next thing so that we're not alone. Because, like, it brings certain people together, right? (laughs) Even just the conversation brought these people together. That's something...
5: Yeah. And so there's this large scale of like apocalypse. (laughs) And then there's this small scale, which is like tomorrow when I'm in conversation with somebody that's not resonating and remembering like, okay, yesterday I articulated that in that space Mm. to myself and other people and I'll do it faster. I'll survive it better. When Amber said um, the thing about maybe it's for
6: community and connection, I I thought of the contestant on alone who could feel that her son needed her it's not just how we protect ourselves but it's how we protect each other we can't exactly say how we know those things
5: and Ada lamont's essay which is more like the idea of like the dream is just a dream it is an experience of its own right so like there's there are these examples of this sort of like real world impact of the intuition like oh she needed to just like call in the the boats and go home and then there's just like no you just had the experience that's that's the experience um to nisha's point like there isn't something to do it's just to like also honor it as real even though you're not going to do a thing with it right i thought it was
3: interesting how in more than one essay, you saw um, folks kind of having really undeniable intuition about huge life choices, like life choices that require and kind of cause big kinds of disruption. Um, And I don't have any deep or interesting thoughts about that, but I just appreciated that reminder, I guess, of sort of disruption being uh an okay thing to choose, I guess, because I think sometimes mm-hmm. my intuition tells me to kind of maintain the stat, you know, maintain the status quo. But I don't know, but now that I'm thinking about it and articulating articulating it, I wonder if you can call that intuition or if it's something else entirely. But whatever that is that makes me want to be safe stay safe and to stay small, I suppose. Um but i appreciated how often the women in these essays were talking about taking up you know not just taking up room but taking up room by um by making really big dramatic changes haha um to their mm-hmm. to their lives you know um and yeah i have my my position on change is also unfortunately and unsurprisingly contradictory Um, but in that I do believe in transformation, even though I don't believe in change, but, um, yeah, but, but I just, I just think that disruption and intuition had an interesting relationship for me in reading these essays.
2: Yeah, I think that's why I, I'm trying really hard to kind of stick to, um, a belief that there's no such thing as self-sabotage. Because if I, if I actually look at my life, the surface level label of some of the things that I've done can seem self sabotaging, but destruction and rebirth, right? These cycles, right? Destroy and recreate. Destroy, like literally, uh, to create is to destroy. Um, so that's one thing I'm thinking is, to, you know, inevitably creating a life involves destruction, and intuition is in the service of both destruction and creation. But then also, if I have no free will <laughs> and my future self already knows everything and I don't know. I am i literally just feel like these days I'm just stumbling through the moments, moment by moment. <laughs> and I have no say in anything and I'm just a series of experiences strung together and it's like a movie that I am just an audience of and just curious to see what happens next. I think mean, like, that is like what I'm getting from this et- entire precognitive experience. <laughs>
5: I think about like when Amber was talking about what do I want in given moments, I think also like for a long time, I've been like believing that I want something and sometimes I don't want anything. And, and that's like the least acceptable in, in so much of my life. Right. Like gotta be ambition. You gotta be like wanting things. And, like, I want pleasure and, I'm like, honestly, to be left the fuck alone for long stretches of time, right? Like, I don't, a lot of my tension inside myself is around, like, I'm supposed to want, but I can't make myself work towards it. Um, yeah, but that, that's also intuition, right? The, like,
6: what was the, I think Amy Poehler's essay was, good for you, not for me, like, knowing what you want but also what you don't want and Mm. being more comfortable saying that because the voice telling you you should want it isn't yours um or it's yours but you heard it from somebody else first and now it's in your head this might be a, a little bit of a departure but there was a lot of dream talk in these essays do any of you have experience with dreams and your creative process
2: Yeah, I'm like heavy and weekly dream analysis with my analyst. Um, she's like, she basically is just, um, like whatever we talk about is, you know, sure, we can talk about your thoughts and, um, analysis about these situations, but that doesn't, it's not going to really tell us much. Let's talk about what your dreams are telling you. (laughs) And she's like, you're all the real knowledge to navigate the situation comes from your dreams, which, you know, in Jungian, um, psychology is our higher self and the unconscious, which is our higher self, speaks to us through things like dreams, synchronicities, et cetera. So it's just been really cool. And, um, uh, it's such a creative process, um, to look at the symbols of the dream and try to decipher them for the hidden meanings. And it makes me feel like, and I do feel this way about all kinds of intuitive experiences that are trying to send us some message that they're riddles. And I, I sensed that through the book as well, that a lot of it came through metaphor, right? The rainbows in the sky, the watch stopping, the dream is a riddle, that there's the signs have to be deciphered. And there's a bit of play in that. It can be fun to decipher it. And there's endless possibilities to the signs as well. And sometimes I think we don't actually know what it's really trying to say until it happens.
5: And then we're like, oh. So as you're doing this dream analysis, is there like a practice for having more substantive dreams that you're doing?
2: So what's interesting, like theoretically, and I've found this to be true sometimes, is that once we actually start paying attention to the dreams and becoming curious, we remember them better. So it is similar to like, fine tuning our ability to hear that voice of intuition really being interested in the dreams allows us to like, if we set the intention to wake up in the morning and write the dream down, which I do, I don't, I'm still in dream state when I write it down. If we do that even once when it comes or twice, then it's, we actually start to have more access to the memory of the dream. Yeah.
4: I feel like I started trying to track my dreams because my sister gave me the Chani, journal for the year. I have like four journals that I'm using this year because I can't stand a waste paper. It's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'm trying to track my dreams and now I'm like worse at it than I ever was. I feel like I used to remember dreams and now like I'm supposed to write it down as soon as I wake up and I'm just like, it, I just watch it like slither away from me <laughs> every morning. Harfia, how do you feel about dream interpretation?
3: I do feel like I am hit by visions and they don't feel like they're you know as I'm talking about it I feel like I'm talking about hallucinations because they have that kind of feeling of lucidity and vividness sometimes and so I guess like I think of those as waking dreams in a way but they're not I don't think I don't think that they can be in the same space though as a sleeping dream which to me feels like a very specific and particular thing that I haven't remembered or been able to access in a while
5: yeah, I go through periods. Sometimes it's like my dreams are working so super hard and I know it. And then other times, like you, they just are they drift away. Like the moment I open my eyes, I think the more I like make space for the thing that I'm working out, like the more, the more I allow it to come to the surface, the more likely I am to dream the solution.
6: I don't often, I, sometimes I I go through phases where I do remember a lot of dreams, but
5: more recently, I haven't been, but
6: I have been trying to write down questions that I have for myself before I go to bed. Um, And then I don't remember what I dream. But often in the morning, I do have some sense of clarity around. And I don't know if it's just that I'm well rested, so I'm better able to like process things or if like, something has happened, uh, that I'm just not able to remember in those dreams.
2: There's also interesting, like where is our consciousness between dream and waking state? If that, if you get the clarity in the morning, um, right when you wake up, I mean, it's just saying something about um, our, you know, your defenses are down and some type of deeper conscious knowing comes in those states, right? And I'm thinking about, um, you guys know automatic writing. I'm sure you guys are all writers, right? (laughs) Uh, It's to some extent, Um, but um, have you heard of like morning pages? Which is yeah. the just, mm-hmm. but if you think about that as like the surrealist original intent of automatic writing, which was to channel the unconscious, um, to kind of get rid of all rationality, um, try to bracket rationality as much as possible, and just automatic write for whatever you know, three pages, ten minutes, um, uh, with no attempt to 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 control. And then, so what I have the stu- my students do in my creativity class is do that and also suggest um, doing it right first thing in the morning. And, but but not just to get the gunk out, but to see the wisdom of the unconscious speak to us. And then to create a little found poem from the interesting phrases in the automatic writing that are the unconscious speaking to us intuitively about. And so I give a prompt, like what I need to know is, and then they just go, and then, then they look underline uh, phrases that are interesting to them um, and then piece together a little found poem. And that's the wisdom of the unconscious, which is our intuition speaking to us. And it's, I feel like we can most access that in that wake, dream, like right
5: when we wake up before our conscious ego kicks in. And I love that the shifting the intention from like getting out, from calling it gunk to calling it wisdom yeah, changes the whole damn thing. That was the intent of um, automatic writing. It wasn't,
2: you know, the Morning Pages is awesome as an exercise, but it, it's not to get the gunk out. It's to um, harness the wisdom of the unconscious, yeah. Yeah,
6: with Morning Pages, I know it's there's, Julia Cameron puts like a big emphasis on like, put them away, don't don't look at them, don't ever, or not don't ever, but for at least, you know, four or five weeks, but it's interesting that it's like, no, no, that's, that's where it is, that's the stuff.
3: I always tell my students to put their work away there to put their writing away for a while for a similar reason so that they can sort of see it with literally different eyes and I'm just thinking about how I feel sometimes when um, I come across something I wrote a long time ago that is wiser than I feel that I am in the present moment but it was something that I wrote during a phase in which I would not describe it as a wise phase Mm -hmm. I would describe it as like me being naive and making terrible choices and whatever so that really speaks to me in terms of that reminder that we actually do already know is just that we forget that we know.
4: Because I'm teaching myself how to write essays by reading essays. This was like, this is the perfect book for me to read at this time because it's a collection. Um, and I was thinking about how, um, how the poets talked about it, like Ada, um, t- you know, like talked about it much more like a poem, much more like, <laughs> I hate show, don't tell, but like they were showing something, you know, instead of here is the lesson learned from not trusting my intuition, or here is the lesson learned from trusting my intuition. It was, it was a different, it was sort of a different entry point. And it made me curious about like the, the value of listening. Nisha, you alluded to this too, like this idea that like claiming proudly that this is a part of my wisdom. This is a part of my knowing Um, you know, that the essay that talks about like in academic circles in certain circles, you don't want to say that you're intuitive. Like you don't want to mention any of this woo-woo shit because you will discredit yourself as a woo-woo shit person. And I just think it's really interesting to, to think of how practical it is. The stories that dreams have to tell us, like the way that, um, Ada Lamon talked about it or, um, recalling the, um, You know, Lydia's um, conversations about the hands and the recalling these stories from this childhood um, and this child's perspective, even that feels like a really useful reason (laughs) to tap into intuition in a way that besides, like, because otherwise your body will re roll eventually. (laughs) But else, like, what else? Like, I'm like, oh, right, because I can write better poems, because I can be a more present mother, because I can, um, engage in conversations like this, where I wonder like, is it all predestined? And I'm just getting, I'm just tapping into better messages from the future, from future me, um, mm-hmm. which leads to a story, right? Like that's a lot, that's a lot of content to write about. Um,
2: you wanna hear something cool in the Time Loops book by Eric Wargo? He studies creatives with this, with precognition. And he thinks that all, you know, the I'm intuitive, thinking. when you receive intuitive messages about what you're creating, you know, like the verse just comes to you or the whatever, right? Written
4: by the muse or That's yeah, literally yeah, yeah. your
2: future self who has already produced the creative work. <laughs> it already knows what the creative work is and it's sending you messages to get it to completion. Just plagiarizing yourself. No, it's your future self just telling you because the future, you know, it's all it's all time looped. It's all time looped. <laughs> but who wrote it? Somebody had to write it. God, I think God. It's, you know, I oh, think we do, we do give God the credit. I mean, you know, for uh, the spiritual people in the world. But it's also our future
5: self telling us, like well, so are, our future are, self <laughs> tells this self, right? But this self is the one that writes it. So, so with, that's what it is, Amber. It's this in between yeah. self. He calls it
2: retrocausation, which is the time loop. So our future self causes our present self's behaviors, which leads to the future self. Your future self knows what this work, which is in completion or in progress, is supposed to be. And you need to listen to those intuitive whatever, wherever they come from. Those are all the future self telling us what the, what the final product is supposed to be <laughs> according so that, to Edgar.
6: that feeling of like this isn't right this isn't the right line to write or like something's not working is like your future self being like that's not it that's
2: not, in your hand Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just no. basically and that's not gonna make it in the final thing just like yeah. you know. <laughs> what would you say like to someone
6: who hasn't read this book to encourage them to engage with it
4: some of the best anthologies are the ones that ask a question that isn't that doesn't have one right answer. Um, but that get you questioning your own answer to the to the question. Um, so engaging with it to ask yourself your own question about what you, you know, what power you give your intuition, um, your own experiences with ignoring or paying attention to that, to that voice. Um, is is really, like, coming in with that kind of question will, will give you lots of different reflections to look at, to find yourself in.
5: I think we owe it to ourselves to, like, to pay attention to what we're paying attention to, to think about what we know that no one else knows. And I think sometimes, before you can do that yourself, it's nice to see to read other people's experiences of doing that. And like many of these essays don't make it seem easy, you know, like they, they are like, yeah, this shit's hard. And I fought it. And that makes it feel like, I think like, it's okay that I don't, I'm not perfect at it. Right. This isn't like advanced intuition, 400 level, like across the spectrum. There's this like there's this Bengali word,
3: um, Adda, which is kind of like, I don't know, I think of it as a really deep hang, I guess, like kind of like the party after the party, you know, Um, when you're in the kind of twilight hours and you get really deep. And you say things that are kind of wild and sometimes it's to total strangers and sometimes totally like total strangers are saying like really wild and wise things too. And you're like, Yeah, like me too, me too. You know, like I felt like reading this book was a lot of that for me, of just being like, I feel that I've been there. That happened
2: to me too. So I liked that. Just the book being able to unlock this conversation between the five of us, which is this deep wild hangout um, of joy and community, um, which absolutely, you know, I think, I think this capacity of intuition is in everybody. And the reason it's been silenced is because of societal norms, which are groups of people choose like stating what normal is. Um, And to reverse that and to enjoy the power of tapping into our intuition, which is just magical. Um, I think it takes community to revel in that magic together and encourage it in each other.
0: Thanks for listening to episode two of CBAW Loves. A huge and special thanks to Nisha Gupta, Tarfia Fazila, and Amber Flame for being a part of this.
1: If you'd like to be part of the podcast, you can email your thoughts about listening in the dark to cbawloves at cbaw.org. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Next month, we'll be reading Who Is Wellness For? by Frey Roshan.
1: CBAW Loves is a community building artworks podcast produced by Amelia Bain. CBAW is committed to mission
0: belonging, reconnecting veterans with their communities.
1: For more information, visit our website, www.cbaw.org.